It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Welcome to the broadcast. The broadcast. Welcome to the Bondcast. I love that new opening. It, uh, it's really it's really jiving with me. I hope you guys like it too. It's a, it's a catchy little ditty. Anyways, this is a special edition of the Bondcast. I know it's number it's number three, I guess technically, but it's not um, it's not going to kind of follow off from number two. So this is a special little treat. I wanted to get this out here because I've been asked about it a couple times, and uh, I've also got great praise from this. And I want to make sure everybody hears it. Uh, so coming up shortly, it's a uh, it's an, an hour long interview I did with Theo Fleury. Now this guy's amazing. Um, it was amazing to sit down with him. Uh, he I had forty five minutes of his time. He stayed an hour without even. Without even questioning it or hesitating or like looking around or, you know, I got his watch, uh, you know, buddy, fucking 45 minutes is up. Let's go. Anyways, it was, I uh, did this a couple of weeks, uh, maybe three weeks ago now. And it got, it got a great response on the Bonzi Live. It got, and then I separated and put it on YouTube as well, just the interview. And um, that's there in video form if you want to see that. But what I did is converted it into MB, MP3 for your listening pleasure. Uh, because it really is a great interview. The guy's so real and raw, honest, uh, talks about drugs, with the, raped 150 times. Um, it, it really, he gets into everything. Uh, and I'm not going to ramble here too much at all because he, uh, it, it's an hour, like I said, it's an hour long interview. And um, even though it's a podcast and you can kind of pause and stop and, you know, just listen to it at your leisure whenever you want. Um, I still want to just ramble shortly here and get right into this interview because it really is incredible. I'm super proud of this interview and I want to share it with all of y'all. He played 1,084 games, 455 goals, 633 assists for a total of 1,088 points. Now, for my non-math wizards out there, that is more points than games played. That's incredible. It really is. And the fact that he even played a thousand games is incredible, right? So um, congrats to him. (laughs) On top of that, he also had 1,840 penalty minutes too. So, uh, you know, he was five foot six and I think he's listed at 184 pounds, but (laughs) you'll hear in the interview, he was anything but uh, but he was full of piss and vinegar. He was full of cocaine and alcohol and, uh, and a bad attitude. But God damn it, he could score goals and loved, loved to play hockey. He's a seven-time All-Star. He's won the Stanley Cup, played for Calgary, Colorado, New York Rangers, and Chicago. He's a two-time Olympic player, uh, won a gold medal with Team Canada, and also is in the World Juniors, the infamous World Juniors, and he talks about that uh, in the podcast. So without further ado, folks, I bring you my interview with Theo Fleury. 
Theo Fleury, uh, welcome to Bonzi Live. Uh, I can't thank, thank you. you enough uh, for taking the time out of your busy schedule. I know you've got so much on the go these days, but um, <laughs> I, I really do uh, thank you for taking the uh, giving me this time. Yeah, my pleasure. Thank, uh, thanks for uh, the opportunity. Yeah, you bet. I I've been looking forward to this for a while through a mutual friend of ours, uh, Jack, Jack Reedford. Oh, yes. Um, yeah. We, so I met Jack in Nicaragua. And uh, ah. when, when he saw I was doing this show and he's been watching quite a bit, he's like, hey, you know what? Because he's seen me interview like uh, the likes of Jeremy Taggart. Um, yeah. I, had, I had Chris Contos on. Um, oh, nice. I'm friend, I played hockey with his younger brother, so right. uh, and I got I got to know Chris over the years, and uh, Chris was Chris was a, a great guest on the show as well. And uh, Jack said, "Hey, you know, I I know Theo," and he reached out, and and your you were your manager were kind enough to set this up. So again, yeah. thanks so much. No I'll have to apologize. My my hair and makeup team took the day off, so this yeah, is all you get. Mine did too. So <laughs> uh, perfect. Well, listen, let's get right to it. Basically, um, you know, I'm sure a lot of people out there know your story, but, uh, you know, a lot of my fans, friends, uh, and people that watch around the world uh, don't. So right. let's get right to it. I mean, incredible, incredible hockey career um, on top of a nightmare life you basically lived almost from an early childhood. You make no secret that um, your dad was a, was a raging alcoholic. Your mom was a, a, a pill taker. And, yeah. um, you know, that must have been tough as a, as a kid growing up to live through that. You were born in, in Oxbow, Saskatchewan. Yes. <laughs> How many people live in Oxbow or did? I would. Not maybe, too many. Maybe 300. Yeah, wow. That, yeah. You, you still have family there, Theo? Uh, no. No. Uh, well, actually, yeah, I do. I have aunts and uncles and cousins and everybody that sort of lives in that area. They're all. They're all grain farmers and cattle farmers and stuff. So, and you get back oil, there gas, oil and gas guys. So, yeah, yeah. You get back there to visit often or not really? No. Um, well, I was born in Oxbow, but moved but, early. But then I was raised in Manitoba. So, right. So, yeah. Yeah. So at age thirteen, you're playing hockey now, obviously, and and you made an impact pretty quick. You were you were a small feisty little fellow out there on the ice, and and raised eyebrows pretty quick. And but at thirteen, you, you suffered a major injury. You, you you tore your or severed your brachial artery at yeah. thirteen. Tell tell me about that real quick. Well, um, we. Uh, we we're I'm getting we're getting feedback from my mic for some reason. Why oh, okay. Do do you have headphones, Theo? I do, but uh, let me see if I can just get them connected to my. Uh... <clears throat> I'm not picking it up on my end, but yeah, I'm picking it up on my end. So okay, and it's pissing me off. So. I I get it. It's annoying. <laughs> I just got to find my uh, my AirPods on here. So no worries. Do, do, do. Oh, there we go. Connect. Okay. Perfect. That should Try that should that. help tremendously. All right. Way I, better. I did forget. I forgot to mention it to Don, and then I, I about no, an you hour. Did. Ago, you did, but I thought my mic was good enough. So um, gotcha. But uh, here we go. We're good. Um, so yeah, we were talking about you. You 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 severed your brachial artery at 13 years old, which was a major mm -hmm. injury. You're out for a year. Yeah. Well, what happened was, <clears throat> I grew up in this this little town, 
called Russell, Manitoba. And, uh, and what was really kind of cool is I moved there when I was six years old and, uh, um, it just so happened that the 13 best athletes in this little town of Russell, Manitoba, were all six years old. We're all my age. Wow. And, uh, and so we became this incredible little hockey team and we used to, you know, go to all the big city tournaments and kick the shit out of these city slickers and right you know, they didn't like, they didn't like it too much. And so, um, how, uh, the injury happened was we beat this team, uh, Portage Terriers, uh, in this big, big tournament, uh, and so they didn't like it too much. So they challenged us to a two game sort of total goal thing in their, in their barn. Wow. And, uh, and so I think there was 11 seconds left in the second period and I got a little bit too far ahead of the play. And, uh, the, my defenseman passed me the puck sort of up the middle. And as I was looking back for the puck, the defenseman who was defending me turned because he was coming forward. He turned and he tripped. And as he tripped, he came straight back like this, but his skate came up and, and caught me right, right under the arm. And uh, yeah, cut my arteries, all my nerves, uh, everything like that. And uh, I was quickly rushed to Winnipeg to the children's hospital. And uh, thank God, uh, you know, I had this amazing uh, surgeon uh, named Dr. Robertson, who basically sewed me back up together underneath a microscope. And we're talking like that's almost 40 years ago that wow. that, that happened. And yeah. And so basically what happened when the, when the nerve got severed, <clears throat> he had to go all the way down, reach back up, pull it all the way up, sew it back together, and it grew a millimeter a day. Wow. And that's why I missed the whole year of hockey because it took a year for the nerve to grow all the way back down. But, you know, more, more importantly, um, you know, I was, I probably wasn't, supposed to play hockey ever again because yeah you're lucky man. well i could have died actually because yeah. it was my artery but let uh, out yeah but thank god there was uh lots of uh really uh smart and skilled people at the arena when it happened and so they put a tourniquet on it right away and put a lot of pressure on it by the time i got to uh the portage hospital it had already stopped bleeding so um which was you know a good sign but uh you know, it was, it was uh, one of the most difficult times in my life because I was a kid that absolutely loved to play sports. And, uh, you know, I couldn't play any contact sports for a year. And, uh, but, you know, I, 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 I became this crazy kind of Forrest Gump <laughs> player. And, and uh, you know, I played a lot of badminton and, uh, you know, that kind of stuff. And, and, and I coordination. Yeah, and then I, I absolutely fell in love with golf because nice. it was really the one, the only sport I could play. And so, um, yeah, it was a difficult time. But you know, what was interesting was uh, my first game back. We hosted uh, provincials in in our hometown, and uh, the very first shift of my very first game back, 
eight seconds, uh, I scored. So wow, <laughs> wow. you're like a bear pent up in a cave. Oh my there. god, yeah, like, on, let, let me lose. <laughs> Well, yeah. it, well, you listen, it, it didn't take long for you to, to to just jump right back in because the community rallied around you back then and they, they actually sent you to the Andy Murray Hockey School because yeah. you, know, you were that good. So, I mean, obviously, probably a bittersweet time for you because you must have been thrilled that a community like that would rally around you and help you out um, and send you there. Yeah, you know, they, they, uh, they, they basically did it my whole entire time I spent in that little town, you know. Yeah. Uh, um, you know, we like I said, we had an amazing team. I had three incredible coaches and thirteen sets of amazing parents who, uh, yeah, who basically raised me and uh, gave me some really incredible morals. You know, I learned about respect and you know numerous other things that uh, you know I still hold near and dear to my heart today. So uh, you know, I, I was very fortunate. I was very lucky. Uh, to grow up in that kind of environment. And, uh, you know, it, it, it really set me up for success, uh, you know, the rest of my life. For sure. Yeah, and at the same time, it is where you uh, ultimately met um, Graham James. And, yeah. uh, you know, he took you under his wing, uh, you know, as most people know who do know the story. And, um, you know, you, 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 you kicked ass. You played for the Moose Jaw Warriors. You scored 29 mm-hmm. goals and hey, racked up 75 points in 71 games at 16 years old. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, that's yeah. not a big deal, you know. But that was, uh, that was a phenomenal feat on my part because I played my first year in the Western Hockey League. I think I was maybe five foot three and, Maybe a hundred, maybe a, maybe one hundred and twenty-five pounds, soaking wet. Playing against some some monsters. Oh yeah, yeah. Well, the year that I broke into the Western Hockey League, like all of the you know heavy heavyweights uh, that in, it ended up becoming heavyweights in the NHL all played. You know that year, guys like the Grim Reaper. Yeah. Uh, Baumgartner, Dave Manson, Craig Berube, you know, the, the so, list goes on and on and on. And so, you know, but I was lucky because I had a couple of really tough wingers playing with me. I had Kel- Kelly Buckberger and Mike Keane were my linemates that year. So, you nice. know, they uh, they took good care of me. So I bet they did. But and like, so did these big guys come after you because you were so small, Theo? Or was it kind of that thing where, ah, we're not going to fuck with him. He's so fast and small and he, he's not really a problem. Oh, or- Oh, you were a target, eh? Oh, yeah, for yeah. sure. Well, right you know, I brought a lot of it onto myself, too. So I was a cocky, <laughs> uh, for cocky SOB, but... Uh, for sure. You know, but, um, hey, you... But, you, but, you, you know, it, it really prepared me for, you know, what was to come in the future, and that was a 15-year NHL career. And, uh, you know, every night uh, in the NHL, um, you know, I had to play against the... The other team's, uh, you know, best, That's two best, best defensemen, their best defensive line. And so, you know, it, uh, it, it, the Western League prepared me for, you know, the success that I had in the NHL. For sure. And, and every year you played in the Western Hockey League, you just got better and better. Uh, you ended up uh, tying Joe Sackick for, uh, and won the Bob Clark Trophy back then yeah. as a top scorer. I mean, that's a pretty good company right there, mister. Yeah. Well, it's... Uh, you know, I was fortunate. I played with lots of great players, uh, you know. In sure did. Um, yeah, we're, uh, you know, I think, 
I think, uh, what was it? Four of us became captains in the NHL. Is that right? From? Th- from Moose Jaw. Yeah. And I think there's either seven or eight of us now uh, that have won Stanley Cups as well. And we all played Moose Jaw and we all played together. So, uh, wow. You know, it was, it was a great. Uh, it was a great town, um, a hockey crazy town. We played in a, uh, a tin can of a rink that was uh, yeah. pretty intimidating and pretty crazy place on a Saturday night, you know. And uh, but uh, you know, uh, you know, you mentioned you know Graham's name, and and uh, you know. Uh, basically, when I met Graham, nobody was talking about Theo Fleury as being an NHL superstar. And, right. uh, you know, I guess he noticed something in me that uh, that uh, um, he maybe felt that uh, um, I had the I had the tools, I had the goods to to be uh, to be an NHL player. But, uh, you know, what happened was. Um, because of my home life, because of my parents never being available to me, you know, this particular guy, you know, basically provided, you know, some parenting and some uh, attention and a lot of things that I wasn't. uh, Yeah. Some guidance as well. And, and, uh, and, you know, the next, I guess, two and a half years of my life were a complete and absolute nightmare, you know, uh, uh, this guy raped me 150 times over a two and a half year period. And, uh, and, you know, because I was so young and, uh, didn't really know what the hell was going on. Uh, you know, I, cl- I quickly discovered alcohol and drugs and, yeah. and uh, you know, now, did of, he help with that? Uh, Theo, if I may. No, I, I, I did that, on, that out on your own. Yeah. 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 So, and at the beginning, you know, it was just, you know, a 15 year old kid exploring, you know, Right. Like most kids do. And, uh, but, you know, that first sip of alcohol, you know, really, uh, off to the races, suppressed, you know, suppressed all of that, uh, emotional pain and, and suffering that I was experiencing at that time. And, uh, you know, I was hooked instantly and, uh, and away I went. Yeah. (laughs) You know, know, back. Did you ever look back, Theo, in that two and a half years and and think like obviously he has his tactics, so those predators, those those yeah. assholes do. But was there ever a point in that two and a half years where you were like, "Fuck it, uh, I'm going to tell on him," uh, or "I'm going to run away and or and never be seen again"? Like, did any of those thoughts ever enter your mind, or was it just he, you were just kind of locked in by his his manipulation m- manipulative ways? Right. Well, I think it was a combination of all those things. You know, I I, uh, I knew right from the start that I was in trouble. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I often said to myself, how the hell am I going to get out of this situation and, and uh, still pursue, you know, my dream. Right. You know, and... What you what you got to understand about predators is, you know, there was a long grooming process that happened before I even came along. You know? Right. And Graham got himself in a position of power and trust. Yeah. And I knew that. And so if I would have come forward, I, I knew that I wouldn't be believed. 
first and foremost. And then secondly, I knew my hockey career would be over. Right. Because I would be labeled as a, you know, shit to server and, you know, and, and all this stuff. And so, you know, I kept it, I kept it inside. And, uh, and when I finally got to Moose Jaw, uh, Graham got fired after the first year I was there. And so I never had to have any contact with him ever again. Um, and, and, uh, you know, that was a big, big relief. And, you know, obviously you see the next three years of my career in Moose Jaw, you know, I really, you know, set the world on fire and played in two world juniors. Uh, I was captain of Canada's national junior team. We won the gold medal, uh, uh, in 1988 in Moscow. And so, you know, um, and then from there, you know, I just continually got better. You know, I went to, I went to Salt Lake city, won a championship there, went back the following year, led the IHL in scoring, got called up, you know, on New Year's uh, Eve of 1988. And uh, six months later, I was carrying the Stanley Cup around the (laughs) (laughs) month. Isn't that wild? Um, You kind of covered a whole bunch of my notes really quickly, which is awesome. I mean, you you told me we had a quick chat before we we, uh, did this. And, uh, you know, you said, I'll make this as easy as hell for you. Because, you know, I I said I was a little nervous. And I've been doing my research for for weeks. And, um, you know, I did read some of the book. I never read all of it. And, um, you know, because it hit close to home for me, too, with with not not obviously with the sexual stuff with uh, Mr. Mr. James. But so can I ask you a question? You know what? That's that's the thing about trauma, you know, is, you know, I get so many people who say, you know, you know, I've had trauma in my life. Not as bad as yours. You know, that's always this the yeah, thing, right? Yeah. Not as bad. But here's the thing about emotional pain is my emotional pain and your emotional pain are exactly the same. There, There's no differences. Very you true. Know? When you're in emotional pain, you're in emotional pain. You yeah. Know? And, uh, you know, no matter how horrific or it, it is, um, and, you know, I, I hate the word addiction. Right. Because it has so much shame attached to it. Right. Yeah. And what people don't really understand about addiction is that all addiction is, is a coping mechanism to suppress the emotional pain and scars that are left behind by traumatic experiences. And so, you know, uh, I always, I always use a story, you know, like, when I was at my lowest point, you know, I couldn't go to a doctor and say, Hey doc, uh, do you have something for sexual abuse that I can take? You know what I mean? Yeah. And, 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 you know, that's the thing about addiction. And, and, you know, I, I've changed the word addiction to emotional pain management. I like it. That's what addiction is. Yeah. It, you know, you're 100% correct. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, and what comes along with trauma is mental health issues, right? <laughs> Depression, yeah. anxiety, panic attacks, OCD, PTSD, you know, all, all of these things. Yes, sir. And, and, and so a great way to suppress a lot of that stuff is, is through the addiction, you know, portal right right 
But as we know, um, you know, your, your addiction never gets better. Right. right. It continually gets worse and worse and worse. And, uh, you know, 16 years ago, I had a fully loaded pistol in my mouth, ready to pull the trigger and end my life. Not because I wanted to die, but I was completely exhausted from living in emotional pain and suffering. And I tried absolutely everything on the planet to get rid of this. And, uh, um, but what was interesting was, you know, I couldn't pull the trigger and I didn't pull the trigger. Thank Christ. Which meant, which meant that, um, I better figure this out. Yeah. Right. And I better get to a point where I can live life on life's terms. Right. And, you know, when I sat down to write the book, Playing with Fire, in I think it was like two, 2006, Nine. 2007. Oh, yeah. You know, um, you know, at the beginning, I, I wasn't even going to talk about any of this stuff, you know? Right. And, um, but as the process of the book, you know, started to, you know, fill the pages, <clears throat> and I really felt safe and trusted and, you know, with the person that I was writing the book. And then, you know, and then it really just started to flow. Right. And, uh, and, you know, that book really changed my life and set me on a different path and a different direction. And, uh, you know, it's uh, it's been amazing. Well, it is the first time you came clean with being sexually abused and molested yeah. by Graham James, correct? Yeah. I, well, I, I basically told the whole story. I told about my parents and right. uh, talked about the Graham stuff. Um, and then, you know... Talk about my drink, my drink a log, and my drug a log, you know, and yeah. then, and then a few hockey stories, you know, mixed in, you know, here and there. So, what, what, what was the, what made you, or what was the turning point, Theo, in coming clean? And you know, you're you're starting to write this book, um, you know, and you're you're humming along. You wrote it with, oh, I'm sorry, I forget her name. Christine McClellan Day. Day, that's right. Yeah. Um, so, you know, you start writing. So do you tell her first? Like, uh, how many people knew up to this point before you well, ever I, I think everybody knew, you know, or because had an, of inkling, had an inkling, inkling, yeah. Yeah. Um, and, uh, but yeah, you know, and I was, I was sick and tired of being sick and tired, really. Yeah. You know? And Sheldon had asked you many years ago to come clean with with him, correct? And and it was yeah. a bit of a a bit of an issue with you too. Well, you know, basically, I was in the middle of my hockey career. Uh, I was captain of the Calgary Flames at the time. Yeah, and uh, you know, I just wasn't ready. You know, yeah. I wasn't ready to talk about it. Was he pissed and at you that that you didn't come out with him and you let him do it alone, or or was he accepting uh, of that? You know what? You'd probably have to ask him that, you know, Fair enough. Um, you know, um, but uh, writing that book, um, you know, was was really a game changer because it was the very first time I actually really got honest. Yeah. And you know, uh, a mass monumental boulder off your chest. Well, you know, I, I was still anxious i was still you know afraid you know yeah i remember four days before i went to toronto to launch the book i was fucking shitting in my pants you know because i had no idea how everybody else was going to react to perceive it you yeah. know to what we were in the book and and uh you know 
the the first book signing in Toronto was the the my my life changer because uh, you know I didn't really have a whole lot of expectations. Right. You know, I thought I'd show up, sign ten books, go to the next town, sign ten books, so on yeah. and so forth. Well, I show up at the biggest indigo chapter store in all of Canada, downtown Toronto on Young Street. Yep. And I walk through the front doors and there's 400 people standing in line with my book. And I'm like, what wow. the fuck are all these people <laughs> doing here? You know? Um, and so I sat down at the book table and uh, started signing books. And out of the corner of my eye, I spot this guy in line. And he's got my book clutched against his chest and his face is buried in the floor. And he's walking really slow. And I was like, hmm, I wonder what's up with this dude, right? Yeah. So I follow him all the way in the line. He gets to the front of the line. He puts the book on the table, looks me in the eye, and says, me too. Damn. Me too. Fuck, damn. And, you know, and that's, you know, that's when I realized. That, He's getting the, this wow. was the reason why I wrote this book. Yeah. Right? Because I said... You know, by my by me finding my own voice, by me putting a voice to all of my pain and suffering, I can help others achieve the exact same thing. And then what happened after that first book signing was I got completely run over by people everywhere I went. Yeah. Five, 10, 15, 20 people were coming up at every book signing saying, Hey man, I read your book. You told my story, me too. Hey, I saw your documentary. Um he told my story. Me too. Hey, I read an article in the newspaper or I saw an article in a magazine and, uh, you know, and I was getting hundreds of emails every day. People, you know, saying, thank you for writing the book. Thank you for telling my story. Yeah. You know, and uh, and then, you know, I was I was I was able to. uh after the book tour, I was able to go out on a speaking tour and, you know, run on, run into all these incredible people with incredible stories. And, uh, you know, and then, you know, and then I started to educate myself in the field of psychology and neuroscience and how trauma is all connected to all of it and why we do the things that we do and, and all that stuff. And, and, uh, and, you know, what was interesting was that, you know, all of my trauma happened in relationship, okay? Yeah. With my parents, with my abuser, you know, with several relationships I had, uh, you know, with women and teammates and all this stuff. And, and uh, you know, the, the one relationship that I neglected the most was the one that I had with myself. Yeah. And ultimately, that's what... Uh, treatment that is what uh, healing is all about is is I started to have to have a relationship with myself and the first thing I needed to do was get sober yeah right and and then you know as I started to get days and months and years of sobriety you know I gained a lot more confidence that that I could achieve this relationship with myself right right and it really comes down to three aspects. Right. I got to heal the physical body. I got to heal the emotional piece. Yeah. And then I got to find something greater than myself, which is spirituality that helps me stay connected on a, on a daily basis. Right. Right. And if one of those things is out of sync, 
you know, I'm going to have depression. I'm going to have anxiety. I'm going to suffer from PTSD, you know? And so, you know, because, you know, when I started it, you know, the pile of shit was, you know, this big. Yeah. All I did was started just knocking off little pieces and layers and all that. And, uh, you know, because... You know, I've done every type of therapy. And it probably never ends, does it, Theo? No, no. No, that's what it's, you know, I I stand on stage and, you know, I say, you know, I'm in therapy for the rest of my life. And people are like, what? Yeah. You know, because we're so programmed by big pharma that. Are we ever? You know, whatever I have, I can take a pill and it's just going to go away. Well, no. You know, it's not, you know, it's, yeah. it's really uh, a lifelong journey of finding peace, joy, happiness, and serenity. Right. For sure. Because I, I didn't live in those realms at all, you know, for, yeah. for me, for the probably first 40 years of my life. Damn. You know, and, and now, you know, I do experience, uh, you know, moments of peace and moments of joy and happiness. And, uh, you know, I can think about one thing at a time. My head's not fucking spinning all yeah. the time, you know, and, you know, and, yeah. uh, um, but, you know, like, it's okay to talk about this stuff. Right. And that's what I've really discovered is that, you know, I thought that I was the only person in the world that was experiencing right. what I was experiencing. But once, like I said, when I found my own voice and started to talk about it, I ran into a whole bunch of other people who had the same experience. Yeah. And together, by sharing those experiences, you know, I learned um, how to have a relationship with myself and how to heal, you know, those deep wounds, uh, you know, that were caused by by other people. For sure. Right? You know, yeah. Um, I, I always love that scene in Goodwill Hunting, uh, right at the end when you know Robin Williams and uh, Matt Damon are are in his office, and, and Robin Williams says, uh, "Wasn't your fault," you know. And it took a long time for me to realize, you know, that it wasn't my fault. And once I and once the light bulb went off that it wasn't my fault, you know, it was a huge breakthrough. You know? I bet. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and, and that's something, you know, I'm still living with to this day. You talk about self-healing and you got to heal yourself first. And, you know, I, I, we, we talked briefly about my PTSD struggles before mm-hmm. we, we, we started this and, um, you know, I, well, I, I let's, hard- let's, let's explain what PTSD is. Yeah. PTSD is the movie that keeps playing in your head. The trauma is on a is on a trauma loop, right? And for me, you know, I was molested in a dark room where I could never see my abuser coming at me, right? Right. So when whenever I was alone in a dark place, like I was fucking freaking out. Yeah. Right? And uh, and through the process of a therapeutic modality called EMDR. I was able to reframe that piece that was uh, sort of in a file cabinet in my unconscious memory. Right. Yeah. 
And, you know, it was, it was a huge breakthrough, you know? So I don't know if you've tried EMDR. I, I haven't, no, but I will certainly take it notes. Is, it is one of the most effective therapies to help people get rid of post-traumatic stress disorder. Amazing. Amazing. Well, and, you know, when, when I, when I struggle, I don't go to cognitive behavioral therapy anymore. Right. I go right to my EMDR therapist and I say, here's my issue and I want to reframe it. And she takes me through this process, which is kind of a hypnotic sort of state that you get in. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it brings all of those unconscious memories that have been buried in our unconscious brain and it brings them to the forefront. And then we're able to, to put them back in the filing cabinet, the way that we want to experience that particular situation that happened to us. Wow. Wow. Well, I, I'm so glad it worked for you. Um, you know, it, you've certainly had such a traumatic like life. And now I look at you, I mean, you've done so much and I'm kind of jumping ahead, but I mean, you've done your country music star now. You've played, you've played <laughs> a very brief stint in uh, pro baseball. Yeah. Um, you, you, I mean, you've been. Um, what else am I missing? You were on Dancing with the, uh, the not Dancing with the Stars, Battle the Blades. Battle the Blades. Yeah. Um, were Were you on at the same time as Wade Belak, or were you a year? No, I was the year before. Year before. Okay. Yeah. Um. Yeah. So let's get back to. Uh, to hockey, I mean, we've just because you've really ran this interview, and I can't thank you enough. You really have made it easy, but um, you know, you start like you said. Uh, you brought up uh, quite a while ago. I think you were six six weeks in to to J- January first. You started with uh, the Calgary Flames, and and you won the Stanley Cup in your rookie season. Yeah. You, you join the Flames right away. You rack up about thirty four points in thirty six games. And then you go on to make the you make the playoffs, eleven points in the playoffs, and win the Stanley Cup. And there you are, drinking out of the cup as a rookie. Uh, that must have been surreal, dude. To to be told a million times over that you're too small, you'll never make it. You know, yeah. it, it must, was it a, just a ginormous double fuck you to everybody, or or you were like, were no, you I, I, I knew that I knew from probably the first time my blades touched the ice that this was going to happen. You know. Cool. And I believed it. I worked hard. Um, you know, I, you know, hockey was really, really easy for me. Yeah. Right? You know, and, uh, and was it that huge? Was it a massive escape for you too, Theo? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. You know, it was my happy place. Yeah, you know? for sure. And, you know, when I got to the NHL, you know, it was it was my dream times a thousand. Yeah, you know? I bet um, uh, it surpassed every expectation that I ever had. Like I, when I first got to the NHL, I just wanted to be a solid NHL player. You know, yeah. and then you know, I just I just kept getting better and better, and I was more confident. And who and do you I, credit? Who do you credit for that back then? Uh, after winning your first cup. You know, at such a young, like as a rookie, essentially, and you you, mm-hmm. you didn't even have a full rookie season. Uh, yeah. But then the next year, you say you just kept getting better and better, and you did. Yeah, kept scoring more goals, and and but well, I, I got to play with better players, right? Yeah, you know, uh, when I came to Calgary, I was a fourth line centerman who was a guy that was 
there to provide a spark, um, yeah. maybe change the momentum of games. Uh, there was really no expectations for me to score, yeah. you know? And uh, what was really interesting was, you know, we, it takes 16 wins to win a Stanley Cup, okay? Right, yeah. And I played on a line with Brian McClelland, who's the GM of the Washington Capitals, and Tim Hunter. Wow. They were my two line mates. Wow. And out of the 16 wins, our line contributed six game-winning goals Damn. as a fourth line wow. to the Stanley Cup. So, you know, it was really easy to prepare to play five or six minutes, seven minutes, eight minutes a night. Sure. You know? For and sure. And we got to play against the other team's shitty fourth line. <laughs> you, know, right? you must love so, that. Yeah, it was awesome. Sure. So, so, you know, it was a a completely different mentality. But, you know, my second year I got to play with Joel Otto was my centerman. And I played with a guy named Paul Ranheim, who the year before scored 68 goals in the minors. Wow. And uh, and then the following year I played with Doug Gilmore and scored 50 goals. Yeah, you sure did. That must have been pretty amazing, too. Not only win a Stanley Cup, but two years later, three years later, you're pumping in 50 goals, bud. Yeah. You know? And then, you know, and then and then Hockey Canada came calling. You know, I played played a couple world championships. I played in a couple, uh, well, it was a Canada Cup at the time. Yeah. Then, you know, a couple Olympic games. So, you know, it just, I just continued to get better. And, uh, you know, I, I really thrived on the bigger the game, the better I played. Right. The more inten- the more intensity, the more pressure, the more all that, you know, I I thrived in that in that environment in that situation because yeah. you know, I played with a lot of guys that would just kind of fold up their tent and, you know, disappear. But yeah. I loved, you know, I loved being in those situations, you know, when the game was tied and there's three minutes left, like I want to be on the ice and I want to have the puck on my stick because I know yeah, I've prepared my whole entire life. You know, those hours and hours I spent at the yeah. Russell Arena, you know, going through these situations in my head. Yeah. You know, I knew that it was going to happen. Wild. So you, excuse me, you you go to your first um, Olympics, 98, you you lose. That must have been tough, you know. Um, yeah, you, it you was. played with some great dudes back then. I mean, the team was absolutely amazing. Yeah. Well, it was basically the first dream team that, you know, yeah, sort of, you know, with the exception of the 87 Canada Cup when, sure. you know, when sure. Mario scored that goal and him and Gretz played together. But, uh, you know, Cops Coliseum. Yeah. But it was, you know, it's the ultimate, ultimate. Yeah. You know, well, it, you lost one, of the, but then. Redemption 2002. Mm-hmm. Gretzky, Gretzky takes a chance on you. You, you, you obviously. I'm not. I'm not telling anything out of school. Um, you, you probably almost didn't get accepted because of the nightmare you were going through back then. Your, yeah. I think your your addiction problem. Well, I went. I, I was in treatment the the summer before the Olympics. Before that's correct. Yeah. And uh, I just gotten out of treatment. I was living in Santa Fe, New Mexico, and uh, my phone rang. At my house. Wow. And uh, it was Wayne, you know. (laughs) Not a big deal, Wayne's calling my house phone. (laughs) And I was like, what the fuck is Wayne Gretzky calling me for, you know? And he said, you know, we're having the summer camp 
here in Calgary and we'd, we'd love for you to be a part of it. Uh, you know, we feel that you're going to be a part of the big part of the 2002 team and we want you here. And, yeah. and that really, uh, that really kind of set me on a different path that whole entire year <clears throat> because I so badly wanted to, to be a part of that team. And, you know, I got to New York and they just traded for Eric Lindros. And so me and him and Mike York, basically from September to December, we were like the best line in hockey. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I think we were all in the top 10 in scoring when the Olympics happened. And so, you know, <clears throat> got the call from Wayne in December. Hey, you're on the team. And, awesome, and dude. Uh, you know, I certainly didn't want to let him down. That's for sure. For, you know, taking a, a big chance. And I know he got a lot of flack over the pick. Yeah. But, uh, but you know, in, in the end, it Gold all medal, baby, uh, right? you, know, out, uh, you know, for the best. It, it sure did. Uh, you won a Stanley Cup. You won a gold medal. You lost a gold medal. So, I mean, that, that had to, like, so, you, so many emotions. You won a World Juniors as well. Um, you were also part of, I, I'd be remiss if I didn't ask you about it real quick. The, you were involved in the most probably famous hockey brawl <laughs> of all time, dude. Ever. Yeah. <laughs> Ever. Uh, what was that like for for a hot second? Can you just tell me like a couple of quick stories about it? I, I, it was bizarre. It was one of the most bizarre things that I've ever been involved in in, in my hockey career, you know. But yeah. you know what? People don't understand that that kind of stuff was happening every night in the Western League. Right. It was either a line brawl yeah. or a fence clearing brawl every night. Yeah. So for us guys, it wasn't unusual but because it was on an international stage where, you know, the yeah. Europeans like to play a little different style than, yeah. than us. Yeah. Um, but, I, you know, I was I was even more shocked that the Russians were willing to engage in getting their asses kicked, you know. So, <laughs> and but, you uh, must have dusted them. You had some pretty pretty big boys and tough guys. Boy, was, too, man. Like, we had some scary dudes, scary <laughs> tough guys, you know. For sure. I remember watching watching the highlights, and I remember Mike Keane grabbing some guy, and I guarantee it was like 70 unanswered. He hit him 70 times. Wow. And this wow. Russian kid was just kind of like <laughs> human know. speed bag. Yeah. Well, you had yeah. Steve Chase on was on the Luke Richardson. Those are some yeah. off character. Ivan Corvo, Scott Metcalf. You know, and Everett, let's, let's not a, yeah, yeah, right. Plus some, you, five foot six, full of piss and vinegar. <laughs> <laughs> Never met a dust up you didn't like either, my yeah. friend. So yeah, it, was, it was right in the middle of that. But but I think what happened the following year was probably more significant. You know, we went into communist Russia. Right. And uh, they had a line of Fedorov, McGilney, and Burry. That was their line. <laughs> and uh, so we, uh, we, we had Mark Recchi, Robbie DeMaio, and Adam Graves were our checking line. And Joe Sackick was the fourth line centerman on that team. Wow. And wow. Uh, we, beat, we beat them three to two. Uh, in the same rank that Paul Henderson scored the goal in 1970. No way. Yeah. Wow, that's something I never came across. That That's cool. Yeah. So right it was called, it was, the rink was called Luzhniki. Is it, is it still there, Theo? Do you know? I don't know if it's still I, I would assume that it's still there. Yeah. It was pretty old when, when we played in there. Yeah. 
Well, I'm running out of time with you, and, and I've got to so much. Plus, you've really helped move this along. But um, I just want to touch briefly in the last few minutes I have you here on um, kind of the life we're living now and what and what you're up to. Um, you've been through so much. You've been a great activist for for mental health, you know, child abuse. This pedophile ring bullshit that's going on in, in this world wow. now, it's, it's really scary shit, dude, isn't it? Yeah, it is... Uh... Your, your Twitter. Well, I, would, I, would, I would say it is one of the biggest epidemics we have on the planet. Yep. Um, you know, the most lucrative industry on the planet is what? Pornography. Most people would say Amazon. Yeah. Okay. Like regular people would say Amazon. Well, Amazon made eighty-seven million dollars last year. You know how much child trafficking made? One hundred and fifty billion. Wow. And yeah, it's, it's, it's crazy. And, you know, and if you go down that rabbit hole and you find out, you know, what all these people are doing, it is absolutely sickening. It is. And the people doing it too, my friend, right? There's, there's, there's names that would blow us away. Um, You know, it's sad, Theo, but a lot of people out there, kind of call bullshit on this and we're like oh well i don't hear about it in the in the fucking mass media it's not a big deal out there well it goddamn is a million kids a year in north america go missing yeah. but we're we, we don't give a shit about that we're too wrapped up in this this goddamn covid and wear your mask and and i just don't see do you think that might be a little bit of a distraction you think so mm. i certainly do my friend uh yeah. And it breaks my heart, but and and close friends and family simply don't see this, Theo. And it is alarming. It's alarming yeah. as as a human being, as a father. Well, because, you know, and that's the way they they spun this story. A hundred percent is exactly. that it's so bizarre and so out there that the majority of people, you know, and, and not saying it's a bad thing, is that you know we. We we don't think in our wildest dreams that this kind of stuff could possibly happen. Right. Well, I live in this space 24-7, yeah. seven days a week, okay? And the emails that I get would absolutely traumatize anybody who has to read them. But because, you know, I have my own experience, um, right. you know, I... Like one of the first guys I interviewed in my documentary uh, was a guy that at six months old, his parents took him to satanic rituals. Wow. You know, and, you know, it was one of the most unbelievable stories that to this day that really shook me to the core of my humanity, yeah. right? Because even I was like, no way, this, this couldn't have happened. And he, and he, he laid it all out, you know, in yeah. detail, in detail. Yeah. You know? Like they were giving him fucking drugs at a year old. Crazy. You know? Well, so you see so many what? videos lately popping up of, of kids being attempted kidnapping right at an outdoor restaurant, like patios and stuff. Oh, yeah. um, mm-hmm. uh, Joe Montana, world-famous quarterback, one of the best of all time, arguably. Him and his yeah. wife, they had an intruder that came in there to, to 
to steal their grandkid. Yeah. Right out of their home. I mean, so, and that that's an elite person who who's famous and has security and stuff. All the other people out there that, that don't, and I mean, and it just goes kind of poo-pooed away and brushed under the carpet. And it, it's scary, man. Yeah. Yeah, it is. It's terrifying. Um, you know, uh, why, well, you know, the worst leadership worldwide is right now. Yeah. It, it, well, especially in North America. I mean, we've got we got two two asshats down in the states who are are, are bickering like little children on their on their last uh, yeah. debate. There, they're, they're so addicted to power. Power, exactly. It is unbelievable. And same with our prime, our prime minister. Oh, the same. He's God. never met a camera or, or 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 something he doesn't like. That if he gets attention, man, he's right there. Whether it be a, a photograph camera, or a video camera, that guy is right there hugging kids, kissing babies, and stuff. Well, but that's and that's something that nobody talks about. You want to talk about somebody who's traumatized? It must it must drive you insane to watch him parade around and run our country. Well, first of all, I have a lot of compassion and empathy for him because, yeah. of, his, because of his childhood experience, Yeah. right? But there's absolutely no way, shape, and hell that this guy should be running anything. Yeah, oh, I agree. You he know? spent more money in the last four months than every prime minister combined in the last 153 yeah. years. Yeah. I think you retweeted and, that a couple of days ago. Mm-hmm. And, that's and, it's, and it's planned. Yeah, this is all. This is all part of a of a plan to, you know, have control over us. Yeah. And the last guy that I want advice from is that guy, for sure. <laughs> yeah. And, and you know what I find in- interesting is how many times he's screwed up. Yeah. You know, blackface, right. uh, SNC Lavalin, the Wee scandal. Uh, you know, there's a little girl who's probably a woman now. Who's been silenced by him? Yeah, because he was doing whatever he was doing to her, you know. So yeah, I don't know. I don't we know. all know who his best friend was or is, and, yeah, and what happened. He, he's, got a, he's got a history of hanging friend. out with. He's got a history of hanging out with a lot of pedophiles. He sure does. So he sure is, does. Is it, guilt, is it guilt by association? I don't know. You know, but I, hate you know, I don't want to go. Is, to this is this is something. That the media should be having a field day with, but they're not. And they're not. No. They're not. And it must drive you insane, bro. Like I, I see your Twitter account. And you're very vocal about it. You're vocal about the child abductions, the pedophile rings. You're vocal about the prime minister, uh, as you should be, because it's disgusting. Mm-hmm. Um, and and things need to change out there. They really do. Uh, yeah, like this one here, we've had more opioid deaths and suicides yeah. than we've had people die of COVID. Right, and and, it, and nobody seems to give a royal shit. They don't. No, it, it's it, it's scary. Yeah. It's what scary. do we do, bro? We keep on fighting the good fight, I guess. Yeah, yeah. Just, you've got your you've got your website that's that's yeah. very active. Dot life. Yeah, you do your uh, speaking engagements. You're 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 probably not as busy, but I see you doing a ton of podcasts. You're really getting the word out there, man. And uh, it's amazing well, did, how far you behind. I just designed an online program called Trauma Transformation. So if you go on my website, it's there. Um, okay. I, I take you through the process of healing step by step. 
And then I work with uh, people individually. Uh, I have a coaching business as well. And uh, so, yeah, we're, we're relatively busy. I wish yeah. I was a little bit more busy. I wish I was sure. able to get on a plane and, and uh, continue what I've been doing, uh, you know, for the last 11 years. But, uh, yeah. you know, hopefully, hopefully in the next little while that'll, that'll happen and that'll all come back to, to fruition. Let's hope. Couple of quick rapid questions before I let you go. Yeah. Uh, you a fan of the NHL today, Theo? No. Uh, I don't blame you. Uh, Batman, like or dislike? Uh, I like Gary. Okay. And I, you know, I wrote that question and I knew the answer because Gary was a big, uh, he was instrumental in getting you reinstated back into the NHL, yeah. which helped you retire with, with dignity too, which uh, we, you know, through our, our rapid chat here, 45 minutes disappeared pretty quick. We're actually in the fifth. And so, <laughs> yeah. but um, he was instrumental. Um, you know, a lot of people don't like him, but I, I figured you did. And, and, and that's good on him for, for giving you those kudos back then and letting you back in because you were a massive part of the game, dude. And, um, uh, one thing, but two, I, I forgot to ask. Hall of Fame. Mm. I think you belong there. All my friends think you belong there. Um, what do you think? Yes, no, one day? Well, I, have, I, I have one argument. Okay. Right? And, I, and I always say if I have to defend myself, then I probably shouldn't be in the Hockey Hall of Fame. But So there was four best-on-best best tournaments in the 90s. Okay, 91 Canada Cup. 96 World Cup of Hockey, 98 Olympics, and 2002 Olympics. And I was on all four of those teams. So for a decade, I was considered one of the 20 best players in all of Canada. Yeah. So. There you go. And my friend, you played 1,084 games, correct? Yeah. And you had 1,840 PIMS and... 1,088 points, so more than a point a game, and you were five foot six, bro, and 180 pounds in, in a in a in a big man sport. So uh, you got well, my. I wasn't, I wasn't 180 pounds. I guarantee you that. I was <laughs> probably about a buck 55. So wow. I mean, I have so many more questions, and I'm kind of glad we didn't get into the whole super drug thing and you playing in that in your career because I, I I really had a great chat with you, man. Again, I can't thank you enough. You've been great. Even this summer, you um, you took the time. Hey, my dog's excited that uh, you were on. Um, you took the time to retweet earlier this summer a link for friends of ours that uh, who are huge Calgary Flames fans and huge fans of yours. Uh, Baby Ruby sadly lost her fight, but you were kind enough to retweet that out, man, and, and show the love. So can't thank you enough for helping my friends out. And that meant oh, yeah. so much for them. Well, you know, I, 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 I was very blessed to do something that I absolutely love to do. And that was play hockey for the majority of my life. Yeah. And, you know, as now as a retired athlete, you know, it's my opportunity, my chance to give back to the people that, you know, really matter the most. And that's the fans because yeah. without you guys, there is no me. Right. Yeah. You know, and, and I think that, that, that has got lost on yeah. a lot of our NHL players today is that they don't realize without you guys buying tickets and buying jerseys and buying hockey cards and, and all that stuff, you know, there is no, there is no us. No. You know, and, and it's the, the fans of the NHL that, that make, that make everything go around, you know, and, oh, yeah. uh, you know, they, without those fans, uh, you know, 
the the Austin Matthews and the Connor McDavid's aren't making fourteen million dollars a year, and so you know, that right. um, whenever I get the opportunity to give back or help, you know, I'm more than willing because of that fact. And my old man would kick my ass too. <laughs> so. Hey, one thing I read too, uh, you, you did fix things with your parents and, and, but, but you had a rough go back in the Allen cup and, and um, mm-hmm. sadly you lost. It was one thing you really wanted to win. And uh, you lost in the semifinals playing with your brother, right? Yeah. And well, I, I lost in the semis twice in the <sighs> Allen cup. So. Man, no way. Yeah. Well, you know what? It was, it was an amazing experience. You know, uh, you know, my heroes growing up as as a kid were guys who played senior hockey in my hometown because it was like, yeah, you know, that was our that was our, that was our professional hockey, and so you, you know bet. we couldn't we couldn't afford to drive into Winnipeg and drive, uh, buy some tickets and go to a, a Jets game. So yeah, you know, senior hockey, those guys were were our heroes and our idols. So for sure, favorite so teammate awesome. of all time. So, my favorite teammate of all time, Sandy McCarthy. Nice. No way. Yeah. That's awesome. I got to play uh, hockey with Sandy real briefly in, in, in Wasaga Beach, of all places, yeah. with, with some friends. Uh, Chris Conto yeah. and his son, uh, Christoph. Yeah, so uh, that, that's yeah, funny. He used to have a marina in Barrie, I think. Or yeah, something. yeah. A marina around. That's funny. store or something. Yeah. So Awesome. Yeah. Uh, Spit and Chicklets podcast. Are we, we going to see you on a, uh, as a guest on there? I, 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 I did it. That? Oh, you did? I, yeah, I've done it, yeah. Oh, yeah. fuck, how did I miss that? I'm sorry. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I, I, mean, I must have missed it. Like, I think it was last year sometime I did it. So. Damn, well, I'm going to have to go back and listen. I thought I'd heard mm-hmm. them all, but I, I missed that. So I apologize for that. Mm-hmm. Anyway, Steele, you've been amazing, man. Uh, 57 minutes of your time. I can't thank you enough. You've been more than honest with me. and you're, you're ten- You played such a great hockey career with ultimate tenacity and fierceness as a five foot six. Just full of piss of vinegar, dude. You had an amazing career, man. And and with all the shit you went through, you should be really, really proud uh, of yourself. Well, the, the thing I'm most proud of is that I'm sober today. My Damn great right. accomplishment in my life is sobriety because without my sobriety, I got nothing. So 15, 15 years, just, just passed a few weeks ago, correct? Yeah. I, two Fridays ago, I celebrated 15 years. So congrats, my um, friend. I don't know well, how I did it, but <laughs> hey, you, you did it! Like I read, one, I read one day at a time. One day at a time. You still don't even know how you got through your NHL career. Uh, how you oh, did? Exactly. But, hey, you did it! Um, you're a world champion, junior champion. You're a Stanley Cup champion, Olympic gold medalist, a country singer, a best-selling author, and a wonderful goddamn human being, my friend. Well, I appreciate that, and uh, uh, you know it's. Uh, it, it's always awesome to get an opportunity to tell my story because I know that one person who's going to listen to this podcast, it's going to change their life. Yeah, good for you, man. That's, uh, you know, that's, that's why I get out of bed every day. Yeah, good for you. Yeah. And so that's why I'm still doing this show. Uh, just yeah. real quickly before I say goodbye, is like you say that it, I, I, I was living in Nicaragua and I had to come back uh, because of COVID. And my house was rented out in Aurelia, where I'm from. And so I lived with my parents in Hamilton for four months. And I just got bored. And I was sitting in my parents' basement and started this 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 kind of live podcast thing. And um, I was uh, it became one of those things where I became very open and honest about what I've been through and what I'm going yeah. through still and struggling. And I've mm-hmm. had probably, Theo, I've probably had six, seven, eight people reach out to me and, and were knocking on death's door. Um, yeah. 
to commit suicide and didn't want to be here and had dark stories. And they reached out to me. And, That's you know, it's so. That's it's what happens when you tell your story. That's what happens when you get honest is yeah. that, you know, something that you thought you're the only person that was experiencing what you're experiencing. Right now, I would say it's a big world out there. If you struggle from mental health and addiction, guess what? You're in the majority. You're not yeah. in the minority, right? You're right. It's, that's what that's been my experience, and that's what I've discovered. Yeah, is, you know, uh, we weren't put on this earth to suffer in silence. You know, we were put on this earth to be in relationship with each other and help us help each other get through the most difficult times in our life. And and by doing that, guess what? You're going to heal yourself by helping others. You're going to heal yourself. It's that sure. simple. You and so whatever platform you use, you know, and podcasts are an amazing way to get your message out there, get your story out there, and then inspire others to do exactly what you've done. Right. So. Well, you're an amazing human, man. I wish you all the best in the future. And, and hopefully we can... Uh... We can we can knock down this this crazy pedophile ring in this world and 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 keep telling your story and just keep being you, man. I, I really appreciate it. Trump is doing his very best to do it. Yes, so and, he's going to do it, and he's doing it. So yeah, it can't be easy. Yeah. <laughs> That's well, for sure. Yeah. Well, it's it's in the darkest nooks and crannies of society. It's just it's just disgusting. It really is. Yeah. Well, thanks again to your wonderful manager, Don, for helping set this up. And, uh, and again, of course, yeah. our, our, uh, our mutual friend, Jack Reedford, uh, guys, yeah. that guy's a beauty. I love him. And, uh, I thank you. Just I, used to, I used to absolutely be head over heels in love with his sister. So yeah. Oh, no way. That's hilarious. Yeah. So, yeah. Right on. That's funny. I'll, I'll laugh at that. that. He never told me that. Yeah. Awesome. Well, thanks again, Theo. You're, you're, you're a one of a kind and I truly thank you for your time. All right, man. I appreciate it. And take care of yourself, eh? You as well. Thanks, pal. Okay. Cheers. Bye-bye. Bye. Amazing. Amazing. What a guy. I really had such a great time doing that interview, like I said. And uh, he really was uh, so open, honest, raw, real. Um, just a simply like a simple dude now. And, and, you know, he's got this foundation and just changed his whole life around. You know, he's been a long time sober now. And uh, super proud of him for that. Way to go, Theo. And uh, just keep up the good work, man. I, I love the guy and I think he does great things. And he's really helped uh, so many people on this planet. So, uh, yeah, uh, again, I hope you enjoyed that interview as much as I did doing it. And uh, it would, this podcast wouldn't be possible without my sponsors. So let's do a quick read before I say adios. And, uh, and don't forget, uh, not that you're not going to forget, uh, podcast number, Bondcast number four. Well, I'm going to release that probably tomorrow, uh, maybe Friday as well, maybe Friday morning for your listening, listening, listening pleasure. Okay. Uh, do, do, do. Where are we at with the reads here? Oh, yeah. My boys at Scramble, Scramble Clothing. Uh, my package isn't here yet. <laughs> I was, I was, it, it should be here any day now. I'm pretty stoked. I went on to www.scramblegolf or scrambleclothing.com, pardon me, and that's scramble with a K. And I placed my order. 
Hills, yeah. And also, um, you guys got to do the same thing because Christmas is coming and you don't want to be caught up in that in that shipping bullshit, especially with what's going on down there in the United States as well with uh, with the Postal Service. So make sure you get your orders in on time, okay? www.scrambleclothing.com. Scramble with a K. They got amazing hoodies, T-shirts, hats, uh, sunglasses, stickers. Go there, support them. Uh, it's great surf, cl- golf clothing. Uh, you can get both, okay? Uh, they cater to to both brands, and it really is uh, something. I love the logos, and I love everything these guys do. They got uh, they got some great products and good guys. Uh, they love golf as much as I do, so that's always a bonus. Check them out on uh, Instagram is at Scramble Golf. Uh, at Scramble Clothing, sorry, I keep saying Scramble Golf because we fucking love golf. Um, it's at Scramble Clothing on Instagram and Scramble Clothing on Facebook, and that's Scramble with a K once again. Also, if you are in the Pennsylvania area, go and check out the uh, the Scramble House of Golf. These guys have done an amazing, amazing job with this facility down there in uh, the Pennsylvania region. And uh, they, listen, they got a putting green that's that's got the state-of-the-art technology that shows you all the brakes and uh, sp- speed, everything. Downhill putts, uphill putts, breakers, left, right, you name it. Uh, and then you can tighten up in the chipping area with your game, bunkers as well. And you can play 18, 36 holes on their on their huge big screens that uh, that look amazing. And you can rock uh, your favorite sports on the TVs. Uh, they got huge big screens all over the place as well. So check them out on uh, on Instagram as well, at Scramble House of Golf. Love those guys. All right, folks, thanks for listening. I hope you enjoyed that podcast again with Theo Fleury. And listen, the uh, we'll drop another one coming up real, 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 real soon. All right? Peace and love. Take care. Pit, pit. I'm your eager beaver. And I'm Mr. Grizzly. If you love politics or hate politics, then have we we the perfect perfect podcast for you. The True North Eager Beaver. Incisive political commentary. We keep you up to date and give you the political and media literacy you seek. To help you cut through the bovine fecal matter. Facts first. Sound analysis. Sometimes I growl. Sometimes I sass. We impart civics and build community. And we share some laughs along the way. Being informed and engaged has never been more fabulous. Or sexy. Catch us on, on the Dean, Dean Blundell, Blundell Network. Network. Or on our YouTube channel. Or wherever you get your podcasts. Because, because democracy, democracy is, is something, something you do. do. Do, did, will. The Story of People podcast is now available on the Cryer Media Network. The first five episodes are here and feature some incredible guests that fit into one or all three of those categories. Ready? Tara Sloan from the San Jose Sharks, Undercurrent Podcast at NBC Sports. Marianne Iveson from Iveson Voice and the Let's Take This Outside podcast to talk about the world of outdoors as well as voiceover land. Ariana Hunsicker, future Canadian Paralympic swimmer, already winning tons of awards for this country. Scott McGregor from the Hot Wallet podcast to dumb down the world of crypto, Bitcoin, and NFTs so you don't have to. And Jackie Holowaty from Climate Pledge Arena in Seattle, Washington, the first net zero carbon certified arena on the planet. 
wherever you get your pods, wherever you watch your pods, and on the Crier Media Network.